Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Mo Crum. And I'm Harrison Crum. And we're the Crummy Marathoners. This podcast is for beginners by beginners. If you're thinking about running your first marathon or half marathon or are in the process, this is for you. We realized as we were training that many resources out there expect people to know what they're doing when marathon training. Well, think of this as a marathon training guide for dummies. We'll go through many of the questions we have as we make our way through the beginning of our running journey and what we have learned. If we can inspire others to run a marathon, then we consider this a success. On today's episode, we learn from the incredibly successful Dr. Dwayne Scotty, who's an educator, physical therapist, personal trainer, running coach, and podcaster about injury prevention and when it's safe to run injured. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Marathon Training for Beginners podcast. This is Matthew McConaughey, Season 2, Episode (laughs) 7. Episode 8, sorry. That was really good. Okay, so Armchair Experts, one of my favorite podcasts. Oh, he's obsessed. uh, He interviewed Matthew McConaughey. Who we love. Well, I'm not really an actor person. Mo knows every actor in the book. She can name anybody. It doesn't matter if they're from Korea. It doesn't matter from if they're from England. <laughs> but I, on the other hand, don't know anybody. I mean, Matthew McConaughey, everybody knows who he is. But anyways, he was on Armchair Expert with Dak Shepard. And he was doing, Dak Shepard was doing a Matthew McConaughey accent. <laughs> and I was trying to show Mo. It was really good. Very so, accurate. Just testing the waters. I might, <laughs> you know, veer off into acting and uh, comedy. <laughs> Maybe not. All right. Welcome, guys. We're excited for today's episode with a good pal of mine and Moe's, mm-hmm. Dr. Dwayne Scotty. All right, all right, all right. Uh, I don't know how I'm going to get through this. <laughs> uh, before we dive into that, though, exciting, exciting news this week is our half marathon. Woo! We finally made it. Oh, yeah. The Gilbert, Arizona virtual half. We are going to... Oh, we need to do that, Harrison. 
get the packet pickup, don't we? Is that what you're talking about? Oh, I wasn't even thinking that. Yeah, add it to the list. What were you thinking? I was thinking we need to map our course. (laughs) That too. And arrange for kids to be Uh watched. And Uh we're probably going to get up super early in the morning so we can avoid traffic because crossing streets kind of doesn't help your marathon time. Mm -mm. Like tonight. Tonight I had to do my run and I normally do in the morning, but I had to be very careful because it was at night. And so crossing the street... I looked at my pace. It like set me back a little bit. Yeah, but you were crushing it. So it was funny. Tonight, we packed the kids up in the car, or I did, because I don't know, there's something about running at night. I just get kind of nervous. He's so sweet. He's just so protective, and I appreciate that, because I was like, okay, bye. (laughs) And she would have been fine without it, but I put the kids in the car, and we were following her, and the kids would, we'd roll down the window for Calvin, our little guy, and every time he saw her, she'd get, he'd get super excited and he'd wave and then we'd kind of drive and speed up and then he'd start crying every time Mo yeah. was out of his sight. It was like so happy, but then so sad because you just hear this faint, mama. <laughs> but she did her run tonight. So yeah, in preparation, we're kind of taking it easy. If you've been following along the 25 week plan, I know that's a little bit crazy. 25 weeks, people are thinking, man, that's a long training plan, but that was literally a zero to half marathon training plan. So if you have never run in your life, you could have followed that plan and, and uh, have it take you successfully to a half marathon. And I can say, having had zero experience with any type of marathon and really any type of running training, not just because you are my husband, it's an incredible plan. I have not had an injury, knock on wood, at all. It's just been great. Honestly, it's paced me so well. I feel really prepared. Yeah. And honestly, I'm not stressing out about the run so much as just the anticipation of it. Mm-hmm. So... Yeah, so if you are looking to run a half marathon, it's free. It's on our Instagram, at Crummy Marathoners. And um, just to talk real quick about the Gilbert Virtual Half, in episode, I believe it was episode four, we talked to the Gilbert Half Marathon director. Awesome. Um, And so if you want to hear more about this race that we're doing, and if you want to do it yourself, it's not too late to sign up. It's Mm -mm. it's a virtual race, and it's not very expensive. You can honestly go on there, and yeah, it's it's we're excited for it. Oh, yeah, definitely. And another thing to be excited about, are the holidays they're coming ding, ding, up dong. Woo, woo, woo. ding we ding need- dong the oh. plaza hotel that is not mcconaughey <laughs> no now i'm shifting to home alone his one of his all-time favorite movies everyone harrison can watch home alone just like back to the future you can watch home alone and back to the future no matter where you are oh any time of day anywhere any and the office so like guys if you want to be my <laughs> bud just be cool with sitting down watching like a super nostalgic show or movie. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Sorry, I'm getting us off topic. That's true. So anyways, so with the holidays coming up, we reached out to our good friend and amazing dietitian, Britt Giles. You might remember her from episode two yep. of this, this season. Uh, she gave us some great tips for maintaining our marathon goals for this year. But anyway, so she, ma- she left a new message on our dun-dun-dun website. We talked about this on the last episode. So yes. if you haven't done it yet, go on, leave us a question or a comment. But uh, Britt reached out to us and gave us some really helpful holiday marathon training tips, how to not become a turkey and <laughs> gobble down <laughs> all know. of the food. That's We should trademark that, how to not become a turkey. <laughs> there we go. So we're going to play that uh, little video or little message here. 
Hi everyone, it's Britt. You may remember me from the nutrition episode. I'm super excited because we're nearing the holidays and odds are you're going to be surrounded with a lot of food just as I am. And so I want to share some tips to make sure we're not going backwards in our fitness and our eating goals. So my top tip is one to be mindfully aware. So every time you're going to eat something, just check in with your body. Are you actually hungry and uh, eating accordingly and really stopping when, when we're satisfied? rather than uncomfortably stuffed, which is pretty typical for around the holiday time. So make sure we're sitting down, enjoying our food, being mindful of the way it tastes, choosing foods that we enjoy rather than foods that we don't like so much, and and really focusing on just how that uh, food makes us feel and really being aware of our food choices. And then the second tip is to stay active. So many of us have races that we're training for. Remember that One piece of pie is not going to derail all of your progress, but at the same time, if we're overdoing it with sweets or even just any food day after day, then that can be be an issue. So really staying active can help our body utilize a lot of those calories and nutrients in a good way. And so not not having the mindset of, oh, I've got my training out of the way, I'm good, I can eat whatever I want, I had a hard workout this morning or this afternoon, but rather staying active the entire entire day. So going out, play catch, uh, play frisbee outside, or go for a walk, um, do some dancing around the house, like really staying active and not sitting down watching football all day long. So so turning off your screens and just getting out there and staying active. So, so those are my top two uh, tips that I'd give for the holidays, but I have so many more tips. So uh, if you want to find some more, I definitely have some posts that are planned to go out on my Instagram. So to help you make sure that you're going in a forward direction with your training, just give me a follow on at dietitian underscore Brit with one T on Instagram and I'll be sharing some more. But thanks crummy marathoners for what you do. You inspire us. So thank you. We love Brit. So She's full awesome. of knowledge. Oh, yeah. And side note, Britt is helping my mom out right now. So, she is. Oh, yeah. And your mom is doing great. She's losing weight. She's, she, she can now... 10 times walk around, around the, the pool. pool. And she she told me that... She told Britt that now she feels like she can do a marathon. <laughs> Which, you know what? She told she me could. can. She could, everybody. Cece, when you listen to this, you can do it. You can do it. But seriously, how awesome would it be if Cece ran... A half marathon or a full oh, marathon. Oh, we... She could be the poster child of the Marathon Training for Beginners podcast. I'm okay. just saying. I'm going to call her after we, we get Call her up right now. <laughs> Let's put her on air. Okay. Call her. Let's do it. I'm calling her. This is happening. <laughs> she normally answers. You're <laughs> Okay. Wait, I want to try one more time. She normally answers. My mom is like a night owl. She's watching 90 Day Fiance. We know oh, that. she probably is watching 90 Day Fiance. All right. So we're super excited to get into this episode with, as we said, a good friend, Dwayne Scotty. He is a physical therapist, a personal trainer. I mean, I already said it kind of in the intro, all of his accolades, and he'll tell you all about it here in the interview, but he is the man, super knowledgeable. So if you're looking for someone who really specializes in running, 
Very similar to Dr. Victoria Seckley that we had last season. If you want to go back and listen to her episode, also jam-packed with really good, helpful information. Um, We love getting second opinions. And just to kind of add on to what Dr. Seckley taught us all, um, you're going to learn some additional tips and tricks from Dwayne Scotty. And really what he's focusing on is how do we prevent injury? And then if we are injured, can we run through it? And I really love his dynamic stretching Yes. Warm-up routine. It's on YouTube, everyone. So we'll put a link in the show notes to his YouTube video. Go subscribe first and then check it out because we do it before pretty much every run. Every run. And even I've almost memorized it now to the point where I don't have to even watch his YouTube video. Yeah. I just have to, I just recall it and I I do it. And it's great because it's quick. It's like five minutes and you don't have to have any type of equipment and it's awesome. Totally. Yep. And we recorded this interview back in summer. Uh, when we were still doing house renovations. So you may or may not hear a couple of little beeps from the fire alarms that were um, out of batteries. But um, a couple of things have changed since this interview that I wanted to point out. So one of the things I talked about with Dwayne in this interview was that I needed to just bite the bullet and hire a marathon training coach, which I did. So I'm really happy to report that. And we talked about single leg squats, which back then I was like, I can't do it, Dwayne. What do I do? I still can't do it, but I can go like three quarters of the way. So his advice worked. All right. So without further ado, everybody, we're so excited for you to hear Dr. Dwayne Scotty. Yeah, no. Well, thanks for inviting me on the show. And I love your podcast. So far, I've been listening. I think uh, what you and Mo are doing are fantastic for new runners because I have a lot of new runners in my community and they have a lot of questions. And I love your guys' approach at you know answering the basics and the things that really I didn't know when I started running uh, myself. So really, I guess my story starts as I'm first uh, and foremost a physical therapist. I've been a physical therapist for 17 years and always had a passion for exercise. Started out as a personal trainer through grad school, did my strength and conditioning certification um, during grad school and started working as a physical therapist and a personal trainer at the same time. And really, my running journey didn't start until I hit age 32. I had hip surgery for a labral uh, tear, so I had a repair, and my surgeon after that said, I I only used to run on the treadmill in the gym as part of cardio, and um, he said, no more running on the treadmill, you got to run outside, and I was like, really? I've never done that, you know, since I was a kid, and so I started running outside and, you know, realized how awesome it is and have never looked back and, you know, started seeing the challenge of being able to compete and, you know, run road races and started out with 5k, you know, here in New Haven at Labor Day uh, road race and, you know, went, worked up to the 10k. So similar to your guys story and then, you know, challenging myself with the half. And so now pretty much it's been eight years um, that I've been running and I've run 52 uh, road races uh, wow. to date and half marathon is my favorite distance. I have run one full uh, marathon, and we'll definitely tackle that animal again <laughs> once uh, in-person races are back up and running. But during that journey professionally, I did go down the academic route. So I always loved teaching and you know teaching students in the clinic and then decided to go back for two more degrees because the first two wasn't enough. Um, so when I graduated PT school as a bachelor's and then a master's, 
Um, so then I went back for the academic doctoral degree, which is a PhD. And at the same time I was doing that, I figured why not get the clinical doctoral degree that all my students were graduating with. So then I got the DPT as well. Um, after going down like orthopedic certifications and a lot of tenure education, um, specific coursework, and started teaching full time. And then I was treating in the clinic and really got frustrated with the limitations of the current um, healthcare model and wanted to help um, my active adults and runners in a, in a different way. And then that's where I started my own clinic, Spark Physical Therapy, where I really wanted to focus on the individual and have the time to spend with them and to be able to reach their ultimate goal, which is getting back to the activities that they love. So I've been doing that now for two years. And probably the most rewarding thing that I did was actually start my own running community, um, the Healthy Runner Facebook group, just uh, about last year at this time. And it's through that community that I've really been able to reach out in my local communities when we did have road races and be able to, you know, help them out with dynamic warmups before races, we would meet up and just kind of create that community feel and then just reach out to runners um, and provide, provide them, you know, the content that, you know, I always knew, I always educated my patients when they were in the clinic, but it was always kind of just fixing pain and you educate a little bit and then you never see them again. So through this community, it's been great to see people's stories and journeys as they started running or they've been frustrated with injuries and they keep getting injured or they think they're not a runner um, or like, like a lot of your listeners, they're just starting out right. and they start getting aches and pains and then they Google it and then they just, you know, maybe go to a medical professional and they say, you know, stop running and, yeah. you know, or you're not meant to be a runner. So yeah. that's where I've really found, um, I found kind of my home in the sweet spot and then started the Healthy Runner podcast off of the Facebook group. And that's just been amazing, as you know, to be able to just share and, and collaborate more with individuals like yourself in the running community. Absolutely. No, it's, it's a fascinating story. And, and I'm always curious how uh, physical therapists can get to the point where they're now focusing on running you know, as their sort of primary practice. You know, I really wanted to maximize on clinical faculty. So I still, you know, I'm teaching everything that I'm actually doing. And I wanted to make sure that I was maximizing my time with my patients and, and, and doing it with the patients that I really kind of had a passion for. And that's where, sure. you know, I did niche down and, you know, thought to myself, like, who are the patients in the clinic that really like, you know, get me going that I'm up late at night, you know, thinking about what I'm going to do with them the next day. And, you know, myself being a runner, it was kind of like a natural fit where our conversations are, you know, super easy. And, you know, I always enjoy, I always enjoyed kind of treating those patients. And then that's where I decided to kind of specialize in that area. And then just recently, actually, during this whole COVID situation, I, I did become certified as a running coach as well. Right on. So I can help them more from like a whole, whole total um, holistic standpoint, because unfortunately, a lot of the running injuries that I do see in the clinic and people come to me, it's because of training errors. Sure. So the more I could educate myself on proper training and from a coaching standpoint, then the more I can help kind of my running community as well. Absolutely. Uh, we interviewed another physical therapist, Dr. Victoria Seckley, and um, she kind of had a similar story in that she really enjoyed talking about running. She was a runner herself and it just kind of, it just fit. And I love having, I loved having her on. I love having you on because you guys are truly the, the injury prevention experts and, and the, the strength 
training experts when it comes to running. And obviously I'm not, I'm brand new to this and a lot of our listeners are too. So we really value having you on here. Um, I want to go back though to something you said, you you said that you had hip surgery, you got started kind of in your thirties and your doctor told you to stop running on a treadmill. Can you explain that? Because I was always under the impression that running on a treadmill is better for your joints, for your legs, because it's just kind of a softer landing. Uh, what's the benefit of road running versus treadmill running? Yeah, so great question. And because of the type of injury that I did have, it didn't really relate to impact forces per se. It's because of where folks get these labral tears or they call it FAI or femoral acetabular impingement, basically impingement in your hip. So you have pain in the front of your hip. You might have uh, pain when you sit for long periods of time. You might get some clicking, some sharp pain in the hip. So that's kind of those, the labral tear. Where you get the labral tear is in the front part of the hip joint. And a lot of times when you're running on a treadmill, what happens is because the tread just goes strictly backward, it forces the top part of your hip bone, your femur bone forward anteriorly. So toward the front of your body. And that can put stress to the area that I had the surgery. So they wind up shaving bone off that area and then they sutured back down my labrum. So they sew it back down. So it's connected and you want to avoid any of those excessive forces. We call an anterior glide of that femoral head from moving forward. And because the tread just strictly goes backward, it kind of causes that like pendulum effect to your hip bone basically coming forward. Okay. So to decrease that stress, it is better to run on the road where you're actually having to kind of push down into the ground and propel yourself forward right? as opposed to like just stepping down on the treadmill. And then the, the, the force of the tread is pulling the top part of your femur bone forward. Sure. So I guess, and not to go too far down this rabbit hole, but do you think that there is value to training on a treadmill ever? Um, I, the only value that I see in a lot of the runners that I work with is if for some reason they do get more pain on the pavement and they might have a degenerative um, knee joint or a hip joint and they get pain with running on the road and they tell me that they have less pain on the treadmill, then I'm okay with that. Interestingly enough, I probably see more injured runners who run on treadmills than on the road, um, especially the shin splints. For some reason, the bounce of a treadmill has a tendency to cause a lot of shin splints, I find. Hmm. Um, And it doesn't really activate certain muscles in certain ways. So I highly recommend most individuals to run outside if they can. But the only reason I would say is if you know, that circumstance where they've tried running on the road and they get pain and they can't do it, but treadmill feels fine, then, hey, if it ain't broken, don't try to fix it. Right, right. Well, another question I wanted to ask you, and and this kind of came to light as I was checking out your TikTok, which by the way, everyone, um, and we'll kind of at the end of this, we'll we'll get all the links to your Facebook group, your podcast, your TikTok, everything. But um, on there, there was, I think, a snippet from your podcast and you talked about um, running kind of into an older age. And this is something that Dr. Victoria Seckley and I talked about, which was um, the question I had was, is running going to damage your joints, your body in the long term? And her answer was no. And now I always love a second opinion. So what's your answer to that question? I mean, is there any danger as far as stress on our body to training for marathons and running marathons uh, throughout our life? So as Victoria stated, there is no definitive research that shows that if you are a runner, you actually have 
um, a higher risk factor of getting arthritis in your joints or what we call degenerative joint disease or wear and tear of your joints. You're not going to wear away the cartilage. In fact, they've shown that groups of runners who have been running their whole life actually have a less of a likelihood and a chance of developing arthritis in their joints. Wow. So that is a misconception that most people have and they think, oh, you know, the road's hard, it's pavement, that's got to wear away my joints, like that, that can't be good for you. Um, we know that's not true. And the reason why that is, is because you're strengthening your muscles, you're getting blood flow into your joints, so you're nourishing the joints, and it helps probably preserve your joints um, and protects that cartilage a little bit more than if you were inactive. Wow, I love hearing that because we hear it so much from popular culture and from just people in general that, oh, running is so bad for you, right? It's just such a myth, I think, that's out there. And so debunking that is is huge. So, okay, I want to jump over to your TikTok because you have some really great videos. And I'm sure you put those on your Instagram or, or other places. But um, there was one that really caught my eye. And it said, three things runners should not do and three things runners should do. So if you could walk me through that, what are the three things? And I'm sure there's more than three things. But the three that you laid out in this video, what are the three things that runners should not do? Yeah, so I think in that video, and thanks, thanks for that. TikTok's pretty, uh, pretty fun. I've just gotten started on it, and it's it's definitely a different animal and a different game than Instagram and Facebook. But it is, I'm having fun with it, and it is pretty fun. But that did that video did do well, um, and I think I, it was really just ice rest and knee braces. So that's something that I hear often from a lot of the injured runners who either join the Healthy Runner Facebook group. And they said, you know, they have this pain, they have this ache and, you know, what should I do? And a lot of the general public may even recommend that as well, kind of iced rest or stop running um, and wear a brace. So those are common mistakes I commonly see. Um, Ice, there's nothing, and a couple of people actually commented to this is, you know, is ice bad for you? Ice isn't bad for you, but the majority of overuse injuries that runners will get so the common culprits are IT band syndrome, runner's knee, which is basically kneecap pain, pain in the front of your knee, or an Achilles pain, so that's your Achilles tendon down at your ankle, or plantar fasciitis, which is that heel pain that you can get on the bottom of your foot, right? Those are the common culprits, and most of those injuries are more chronic in nature, and they're due to the fact that you haven't loaded your body in a way that it's strong enough to actually participate in the demands of running. So I know you've talked about a lot how you're doing like higher mileage training. And if you didn't prepare your body in a progressive fashion, let's say you jumped up too quickly. I just saw a runner yesterday, increased 10 miles over the course of a week. So, you know, they really added a lot of load. And then the IT band said, whoa, what are you doing to me? I'm going to give you pain on the outside of your knee. And so in that case, when you have it in acute flare up, let's say it happened a couple days ago, you can ice, that's fine. But if it's pain that you've been having for a couple weeks, ice really isn't going to help because it's not a matter of there being acute inflammation that's going to help. So, you know, that's kind of the first point is ice and then resting. Usually people, what most runners do is they get pain and they say to themselves, "Ah, I got pain from running. So I probably shouldn't run until I don't have pain. And you might see a medical professional who might tell you maybe they're not a runner and they might tell you, well, you have this pain. I've properly diagnosed you and it's this condition. It's plantar fasciitis and, you know, stop running and then let's get you better. And then they'll do treatment. You'll get better. You'll have no pain. And then they discharge you. And then they say, go back to running. Yeah. And if you haven't progressed, um, 
So I'm a big fan of keeping my runners run while we're recovering from injury. And you can usually do that by just scaling back your training a little bit. So you maintain your running fitness. You don't lose your strength that you've built up along the way, but you're still allowing your body the chance to actually heal because now you've decreased the intensity of your runs. I want to dive in deeper there. There's two areas yeah. that, I, that I want to talk about. Um, number one being how long does it take the body to start to lose some of its strength? I've heard two weeks. I want to, I want to see if that's legit. Um, and the other thing that I, want to, that I want to talk about when it comes to taking, well, not taking time off, but scaling back, like you said, what does that look like? You know, if I'm running 40 miles a week or 30 miles a week, how much should I scale back? Is it just speed? Is it just quantity of miles? So if you could kind of touch on those two things. Yeah. So the first point in terms of losing strength, I think even after a week, I don't know if you've ever like worked down in the gym and, you know, many of your listeners probably have been there before they go to the gym and they don't go for a week. They go on vacation. They're sick, whatever the case may be. You go back in the gym a week later, you feel a lot weaker. Um, it's that quick. And we wow. see that with post-operative, you know, surgeries. If you've ever had an ECL injury or you've ever had any surgery before, you will notice literally within a couple of days, your calf muscle like atrophies away, your quad muscle atrophies away. Um, so we see those, those strength changes quickly. It's like amazing because it takes so long to actually build up strength, right? Which is very frustrating yeah. because it takes a long time, but you can lose it like that. It right. just, it just goes away. So it is, it does happen quick. And that's why it's important to do specific strengthening exercises while you're recovering from your injury. And then also to be able to run. And then that's why I love, because like we're all runners. And even if you're a beginner, you've started going down this path, right? There's a reason why you started running, right? That might be, you know, mentally, right? You just need some mental relief during COVID, right? So you're, right. you've taken up running and you need that as your outlet or you set a challenge for yourself and you're like, I'm going to accomplish this challenge. So you need to keep doing that. And the psychological benefit of having you continue to run and to allow your tissues to actually heal at the same time. So it's like, you're getting more bang for your buck. You're getting both the psychological benefit as well as the physical benefit. And you're actually healing from your injury. So I would highly encourage you to maintain what we call it active rest, right? So you're modifying your activity. So go to your second question on what does modified activity look like? It's going to be that answer that no one loves. It depends. Oh. <laughs> and the reason why I'm going to say it depends is because it depends upon the level of tissue irritability. Okay. So I'll, I'll give you two contrasting examples. So let's say someone had a highly irritable, let's use that example again of plantar fasciitis, their foot pain was highly irritable, meaning you're telling me, Harrison, that you have an eight out of 10 pain, a nine out of 10 pain. You get up in the morning, you hobbling down the stairs, you can barely walk. So you're not only getting pain with running, you're getting pain with just walking, right? Sure. So you're, you sit at your desk for like, 20, 30 minutes, and then you go to stand up and you're limping because you're in so much pain. So that would be a highly irritable tissue and pain presentation, as opposed to someone with low tissue irritability, they would say, you know what, my foot feels a little achy when I take that first step in the morning. And then after about five or 10 steps, it goes away. And you yeah. know what, when I run, it just feels stiff in the beginning it feels stiff like that first half mile, but then I don't feel any pain. But then when I, on my long runs, I get up to like mile eight, nine, and then I start feeling some pain, but it's like a two out of 10, three out of 10. Like sure. I could run through it, right? So those are the two contrasting scenarios. So if I had a patient um, who 
had the low tissue irritability, then like in your example, if you're running 40 miles a week, I would probably say to you, Harrison, you know what? This week, we're not going to do speed work. We're going to keep it at easy conversational pace runs. And if you did, let's say 14 miles last week for your long run, I would say, let's this week do 11. And then I would check in with you and make sure that that pain didn't increase at all. So that would be an example but if you had high tissue irritability, I would scale you back a lot more in terms of your mileage. I'd probably even, if you were in that high tissue irritability, it would literally be, you know, a couple of two to three milers, making sure your pain levels weren't above a four out of 10 pain during those runs. Okay. So that's where it, it does depend. But yeah, I would yeah. say the majority of runners are in that lower to moderate tissue irritability, and they're not in that high high where they're hobbling, you know, with walking. So that's why the majority of runners need to stay active and maintain their running fitness and continue to run, even if they have some aches and pains, because that's actually going to help them in the long run, progress back to doing their full training program um, with the strategies um, that I guess we're going to talk about now is really like what runners should do. Yeah. Well, and I guess I was going to ask real quick about the Galloway method. I'm not an expert on that. Yeah. Maybe you've read it, but that, that kind of seems to fall in line with what you said, right? He kind of recommends, hey, if you're getting shin splints or some kind of pain, do some walking, do some light running, and just kind of go back and forth. But the key is to get out there, maintain that strength, right? Absolutely. Yes. And the Jeff Galloway method, you know, it, it's originally designed more from um, a cardiovascular standpoint, aerobic standpoint, and allowing your body never to get past that threshold of like the point of no return. Like when we all, let's say in a half marathon, start crashing at like mile 10 or 11 or in the fall at mile 20, right? So it allows you to almost conserve some energy and it's those predictable time periods where you start to add in the walks and that's the benefit versus some people have misconception with the Galloway method and they, they feel that, Oh, I'll just run as far as I can. Then when I get tired, I'll walk. So right. the whole purpose is to actually walk before you get tired. Okay. Um, but if you're coming back from an injury, that could be a very effective method to allow your body that chance of a little bit of deloading and less sure. load to your tissues as you're recovering from an injury. Gotcha. Okay. So then the last thing you said was the knee brace. And I'm just assuming that that's because it's not really fixing the issue or it's kind of altering how you run or what, what's your answer there? Yeah. So the most common uh, running related injuries that we do see are the two conditions I mentioned before, IT band syndrome, which is pain on the outside part of your knee, pinpoint specific, or runner's knee or patellofemoral pain syndrome. That's like a mouthful. So don't even worry about that. It's like <laughs> kneecap pain. It's like right in the front of your kneecap and it's it's generalized. You can't point to it. It's kind of like it feels under your kneecap and it hurts when you do stairs and it hurts um, when you're squatting and it might hurt when you go downhill um, on your runs. But both of those are the most common running related injuries that we see in all the research and surveys of runners. And a lot of times when people have knee pain, they think, oh, let me wear a knee brace. That's going to help. And actually for the runner's knee syndrome, there was actually recently released in our profession, they do like clinical practice guidelines. So it's kind of nice to see what I've been seeing clinically for years in the runners that I work with. But this was supported by research and all the studies that have shown is that knee braces do not help with that condition at all. And 
even if you want to do some taping, that may be beneficial. Um, doing some like kinesio taping, but it's more from a pain standpoint, just to help decrease pain. We know that if you put tape on um, any part of the body, really, no matter how you put it on, it can help decrease pain. So whether that's a placebo effect or you're just adding some input into your system, but a knee brace really won't help. The only condition uh, I will highlight, just in case there are some of your listeners who have this, is if you have patellar instability. So unstable kneecap, you've had a history subluxing your kneecap or dislocating it. And this is most common in more adolescent females, or if you are, you know, middle-aged female now, and you've had that history, you, your kneecap slipped out multiple times. That's the only condition really that I would recommend a knee brace because gotcha. it can help keep that kneecap in place. Okay. Um, but usually knee braces, honestly, just contribute to the underlying root cause of why you're having knee pain, which is usually weakness. So it's yeah. a matter of strengthening the muscles that support your knee. So you're not having to rely on the knee brace. Right. So that probably leads us into the things that runners should do. So there were three things that you highlighted. And so what are those? So the three things, actually, I'm going to expand upon that just a bit, if you don't mind. Um, yeah, of and it really relates to kind of what I call my five tips for healthy running, or it's kind of like the spark blueprint. And for those that want more in-depth knowledge than what we're going to talk about, it was actually the first five episodes of my podcast. Um, I did a little deep dive into each of those. So the first is really strengthening running specific muscles, which means that the two most common that are usually left out of most general cross-training strengthening plans are the side hip muscles, your hip abductors, which keeps your pelvis level when you're running, and then your deep external rotators in your hip. And those kind of control how your leg is turned in or turned out. So those are two muscles, but also the glutes, which are so important, the quads, very important, and then the calf muscle. So those are the five that I really kind of think that you need to be isolating at some point and strengthening those muscles. And then the second principle is really training those muscles with your foot on the ground and on one leg. Because when you run, you're never on two legs at the same time. And Victoria right. did a nice job of highlighting that in her episode. And that's how you need to train those muscles. So if you want them to be used and kicked in and stabilizing that kneecap, let's say, if you have the runner's knee, then you need to train those side hip muscles, those deep rotator muscles, sitting on one leg like they need to function when you're running. Interesting. So, all right. As a beginner runner, I'm obviously confused. And I know a lot of the listeners will be confused. What does all this mean? I know I need to be stronger. I get it, Dwayne. But what do I do specifically? So the specific, more specific, actionable exercises you're asking? Yes. Okay. So let me give you a couple of examples. And all of these you can easily find on my YouTube channel as well. I have them all organized into playlists. So there's the Spark Runner playlist and then hip exercises. There's a whole playlist. Uh, but I'll give you a couple examples of exercises. Let's say those side hip muscles. So it would basically be you're, you're lying on your side, kicking your leg up. Okay. The problem is that if you just do that lying on your side, you're going to compensate and use your front hip muscle, which is the TFL that connects to your IT band. So how you prevent that is doing it lying against the wall. So your back is against the wall and now you slide your heel up the wall, which mm. forces you to use that side back part of your hip muscle, which is the portion of the muscle that kicks in when you're running. Interesting. 
Yeah. And I, I guess I didn't realize you had a YouTube channel that highlights all of this. So I will um, definitely check that out and everyone listening should too. So, okay. So we got to, we got to strengthen our hips. We got to strengthen our glutes. Um, what am I missing? So the strengthening was the first point. The second point was training on one leg. The third point is going to be adding in plyometric training. Fancy word. All it means is jump training. Okay. So you're actually training your body to leave the ground and then be able to control your body weight as it touches the ground again. Because believe it or not, that's what you do when you run. You leave the ground and you come back to the ground. So you need to train those muscles plyometrically or add in some jump training. And this, I will caution you, if you are a beginner and you're just starting out running, I would not add in plyometric training right away. Okay. Right? You need to have a base foundation level of strength. So you should be doing strengthening exercises for like those muscles that we just talked about and have somewhat of a foundation. So it's almost like your base training for running before you do tempo runs or speed work, you would do base. Same thing with strengthening. For strengthening and prehab or injury prevention, you should strengthen first, have that base level of strength before you start doing jump training. But those are usually common commonly missed at a lot of runners are not training plyometrically at all. And then there's parts of the year where you periodize, we call that. So where you focus more on plyometric training. So for me living in Connecticut, it's pretty much January 1st to the first half marathon of the season in April. That's like three or four month block where I'm really focusing a lot with my runners on plyometric training. And then you start to wean out the plyometrics as you start really getting into the higher mileage season hmm. when you are training for half or a full because you don't want too, too much load on the body and you want to be fresh for your runs. And what you've established during that time block, those you know three or four months will help keep you healthy throughout your training cycle. Sure. So I always feel like if I'm going to try plyometric training, like so if I'm going to start jumping, I, I just feel like it's going to hurt my shins, my knee. I don't know. Maybe I'm not strong enough yet. Um, and maybe I need to work on more of that strength training. How do you know when you're ready to kind of shift from strength training to plyometric? Well, the key is, is starting out with progression. And there's like, I have on my YouTube channel, level one plyometrics, level two, level three. So there are some basic like little hopping exercises that are plyometric. So it's preparing your body and you're, you're training your muscles. We call that, that neuromuscular reeducation. It's really sending the signals from your brain to the muscles and you being able to control the contact to the ground and slowly not slowly controlling it, but um, being seen, not heard. So not sounding like a herd of elephants when you land on the ground, but you're using your muscles to control how you land because that's what you want to do when you're landing while you're running. And that will help strengthen those muscles in that fashion when you train them like that. So I would say that for the majority, like you've been strength training for a while now, you can add in some level one plyometric exercises and then you would do that for a four week block before okay. progressing to level two. And then nice. progress in a level three. Most people jump right to like jumping off boxes. Like that's the end to end phase of plyometric training. Cause even in January and February, and I've done, you know, I've been strength training for 17 years and I always start at level one again, you know, okay. when I start training. So I don't start jumping off of boxes or, you know, <laughs> checking out like the coolest jump exercise on social media because you're right, it will hurt. Yeah. Okay. So that we've talked about those first three. Are there any others? So the other two principles is 
fourth one is really uh, take care of your soft tissue, meaning in terms of recovery. And this is where I'll, I'll kind of add it all in a bucket of basically soft tissue care. So whether it's foam rolling, whether it's stretching, and I add in there dynamic stretching before. So that's the movement prep. And just to highlight for the, again, the beginners is what you've traditionally thought about stretching where you're sitting there holding a muscle for 30 to 60 seconds. That's what we call static stretching. You're holding it. We now know as Victoria highlighted in her episode, we never do those before you're running. We save that for after if you want to add it in. And I agree with Victoria. I don't have all my runner stretch. Um, if you want to stretch, then you could do it at the end of your run. But before your run, definitely dynamic stretch, movement prep, foam rolling to stimulate that nervous system. You can foam roll after for some recovery as well. And periodically, if you are running a lot, it might require, you know, some specific hands-on treatment, whether that's, you know, like myself, I do dry needling, instrument-assisted soft tissue massage, or if you go to a massage therapist, like taking care of those soft tissues, right? And make sure you're recovering because you're using those muscles. So when I say soft tissue, I mean the muscle, the tendon. So those are the connections. And then there's like fascia. Basically, it's like the saran wrap of your muscles. Your whole body is filled with this fascia or saran wrap that wraps all your muscles and your tendons. So that's what I mean by soft tissue. And it's a matter of allowing that recovery and doing those prehab things to recover from those, you know, those runs and all those miles that you're putting out on the pavement. Gotcha. Okay. So a little bit of uh, uh, dynamic stretching, foam rolling, and then what's the last uh, principle here? So the last one is actually, and this is where, honestly, Harrison, where I've really kind of delved in more um, throughout my career as a physical therapist, because traditionally in the medical model, we learn about the physical things, right? So I'm a physical therapist, obviously. So I, it talks about strength. It talks about range of motion, how flexible you are, right? Yeah. Um, but what I notice the pattern of all the runners that I see in the clinic who are injured it's not the fact that they have tight hamstrings and they get injured. It's not the fact that even, yeah, they might have some weakness that's contributing and the root cause of their pain, but it's a training error. So it was because they ramped up like that uh, runner that I talked about before who you know increased 10 miles over the past week in training or that person who doesn't have base foundational training and they decided to go to a track and be like, you know what, let me do some 100 meter sprints. Let me uh, do some 400. So let me run you know, one lap around the track as fast as I can go. So it's these training errors that really cause a lot of the injuries. It's rare that I ever see an injured runner who didn't have have a training flaw. So my fifth tip is really to train smart with proper progression. So that's really progressing and ramping up. And this is where a run coach can really help you out. And I've, you know, going through the run coaching certification myself, I see the value in why it is important um, if you are a runner and you don't want to, or you don't have the time to really educate yourself on how to properly progress your training and ramp it up then it's a worthy investment to get a running coach who will do that for you so you don't get injured because that is the number one culprit, honestly. Yeah. And it's a matter of just progressively loading your body to be able to tolerate the demands of running. Well, I'm kind of a hypocrite when I say this, but you know, you think about how much time we all invest in running, how important it is to all of us yet we don't want to spend a little bit of money to to get a coach. And to your point, it's so important. But once again, I'm a hypocrite because I'm kind of like 
too prideful to hire somebody to, to do it. I like want to figure it out on my own. And that's kind of part of this podcast is like putting together all these resources so that I can help me and a bunch of other beginners. But I, I, I do firmly believe that there's value in a running coach. I just, I guess I need to bite the bullet just like a lot of people out there. Yeah, no, absolutely. I'm actually the same way, Harrison. You and I are very similar in that I almost see these new things as challenges myself. And I like to figure things out myself and sometimes it's to my detriment. And I know that it would have taken me less time if I just did seek out the professional that I needed, you know, but even, you know, something as silly as, you know, creating a YouTube channel or, you know, TikTok or starting a podcast, right? I didn't, I didn't have any guidance at all. I did what you guys did and just kind of jumped in the pool and started learning on my own and watched a bunch of YouTube videos. And, you know, I kind of uh, improve as I go. So it's, it's kind of nice to, I guess you see the progression, but it's funny when you see either an episode or, you know, a post I did like two years ago and you're like, wow, that was terrible. What was I thinking? <laughs> but I'm the same way that I, I'm a little stubborn in that fact that I like to figure things out myself as well. Um, but th the difference is that you and I take the time to do that and we're okay with doing that. And it, it's like a hobby for us. So we take it as right. a challenge. Whereas some runners don't have the time to do that. And they just think, you know what, I'm just going to go out there. I got this plan that I got off the internet and let me just follow it and I'm just going to do it. So unless, you know, you're willing to take the time out of your day and your schedule to, you know, learn a little bit more, further educate, like myself, I'm a serial like podcast listener. So yeah. like, that's what I'm listening to on all my easy runs, all my long runs. And that's my education, right? So that's sure. how I learn. I'm not a huge reader. So I don't read a lot of books, but I listen to a lot of podcasts <laughs> I'm, the I'm same in the way. car and when I'm on my runs and I just love learning new information. So, yeah, well, I could, I could literally talk to you all day long about this stuff, uh, but I know you've got a family, you've got a job, you got to get back to, I do as well. But before I let you go, I guess there's just like one last question that uh, I've been dying to ask you and that's single leg squats. I'm just so I'm so fascinated by those because I can't do a single leg squat myself. My legs aren't strong enough. I can go down about halfway. Um, but I've seen you do it like on your, on your channels and how can someone progress into that? Like in my case, um, do you just do the, do it halfway? Kind of like if you can only do a half push up, you only do it halfway and then slowly your body will get stronger and then you can finally go all the way down or what's your recommendation there? Yeah. So great question. And I would say, yes, definitely go to the distance that you can go. And then also, you know, think about doing double leg squats deeper. So you're getting that hip motion and that hip hinge, we call it. Um, so your body's used to getting a little bit lower, but it also might be a stiffness issue at your ankle as well. So sometimes I see in a lot of runners that have really tight calf muscles and tight Achilles or their ankle mobility is limited, then that is going to be really highlighted when you go in single leg stance as well as sometimes it's a stability issue. So if those side hip muscles I was mentioning before are not strong enough, then they cause your pelvis to tip when you go into the squat and then you're more unstable and you can't go as low. So I, I would definitely keep working at it um, within the available motion that you have, but yeah. then think about just, you know, keeping it well-rounded with some other exercises that are going to be beneficial for you as long as it's not painful when you do it and your form is, you know, pretty good in that you're able to keep the center of your kneecap over like your second toe then I would, I would continue working at it and you will improve. You will improve over time, just like running gets better and gets easier over time. That's what's beautiful about the body. It adapts. 
Absolutely. I've learned that. And I think a lot of runners have, have seen that and that's why they continue to run because it's so rewarding. Well, thanks Dwayne. I really appreciate it. So before I let you go, can you just share uh, your links and how our listeners can find you? Yeah, absolutely. So home base is sparkyourtraining.com and you can find me on all of the socials at that handle at sparkyourtraining, all one word on YouTube, TikTok, um, Facebook. And uh, the big community factor is the Healthy Runner podcast, as well as the Healthy Runner Facebook group. Um, We have a great community of just runners in there, sharing ideas, um, healthy tips. I have it all organized within my group into different topics. So if you want strengthening exercise, like you asked about actually, Harrison, is in the Facebook group, there's a tab for strengthening exercise. There's a tab for core exercises. There's a tab for flexibility, um, nutrition tips. So it's kind of like a all one-stop shop of keeping you healthy from a physical standpoint, nutrition standpoint, mindset. Um, we get into all that within the Healthy Runner Facebook group, as well as the episodes on the podcast. Yeah, that's perfect. Well, you're super helpful. You're bringing a ton of value to runners all across the world. And uh, I really appreciate your time. I'd love to have you back on at some point in the future when, when more of these questions come in and, and uh, we want to get a little bit deeper if you're open to that. No, absolutely. And I think uh, what you and Mo are doing is fantastic, even though I'm not a beginner runner right now. I've been running eight years. I I remember being a beginner runner and the value that you're providing and answering the quote unquote simple questions or the stupid questions that people are too (laughs) ashamed to ask, I think is so valuable and is so helpful to so many runners. And that's what I try to keep in my healthy runner community as well is to be able to help, you know, the couch to 5k runner, or if you're even an experienced marathoner. Um, So keep doing what you're doing. I love what you and Mo are doing. Uh, It's great. I would love to come on in the future. Awesome. Well, thanks so much. Have a great rest of your day and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Sounds good. You as well, Harrison. Follow us on Instagram at crummy marathoners. We'd love to hear your feedback and take any questions you might have. Also, don't forget to subscribe so you know when new episodes come out and please leave us a five-star review so more people can join this funny journey with us. Our theme song is Change the World by Breck. You can find his music on Spotify. Search his name under B-R-E-K-K.